Welcome back to the Mike Dillard Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you get the knowledge and skills that you need to bring your dreams to life. Well, gang, today we have a chance to learn from a gentleman that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and I'm sure you will as well after you hear his amazing story today. His name is Steph Safandos, and Steph is a perfect example that all of us are absolutely capable of changing and becoming who we truly desire to be, no matter where we currently are in life. Now, we've had a few incredible stories of transformations made by some of our previous guests on the show, including Wes Chapman, Chris Cavallini, Lori Harder, and Gary John Bishop, to name just a few. All of them were living out lives that were based on previous trauma. They were all in a place of anger, frustration, and suffering. And then all of them eventually found a way to stop their downward spiral, make a change, and as a result, they're all spectacularly successful by any measure today. So having had the opportunity to hear about each of their transformations in detail through this show, I've noticed that all of them have three things in common. First is a breaking point, a moment of decision where they said, enough is enough. Second, they all had a deliberate and obsessive search for new knowledge, tools, and people that could help facilitate the changes they wish to make. And finally, they had an unwavering commitment to the process combined with patience. There was never a timeline or a deadline. The new journey that they were on was the destination, and it's a journey that continues for each of them to this very day. So if you take these three steps, I am positive that you will completely transform your life as they have. And if you want some help along the way, I'd highly recommend that you reach out and get in touch with Steph. Now, please help me welcome Steph Safandos. Stefanos Safandos, welcome to Self-Made Man. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's amazing to be here, brother. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Welcome to Austin. Yes. Uh, you're here with... Uh, your fiance, I believe, and yes. a good friend of mine, Christine Hassler. Yes. Which is super cool. So Christine, I've been a, a huge fan of her and her work for many years now. She, she did a wonderful class for uh, the Self-Made Man audience and student group here last year. And so it was super cool to see the two of you guys connect. And I know it's kind of personal, but I know that meeting you was a huge shift in her life. And mm. I haven't had a chance to talk to y'all, to, to you about it yet. But I was wondering if you could kind of dive into your story and then eventually how you and Christine got to meet. Yeah, of course. And so how, how we met was was deeply serendipitous. And I won't go too much into that story because it's, it's a long story, but so many things had to happen for us to actually meet. I mean, I was in Perth at the time, Perth, Western Australia, which is uh, probably 10,500 miles, 11,000 miles away from Southern California where she was. And we were introduced by mutual friends and just what had to happen for me to know those friends and for her to reconnect with those friends after many years it was just it was just amazing. So when we we first connected, it was a it was a, a deep and quite profound knowing. And when we first physically met, months after we were interacting via technology and the blessings of technology in the, in this instance, it really just it felt like home. It felt it felt like home. It felt this is where I need to be, and this is, and she felt the same same way. Now, for me to get to that point and to have that level of certainty and clarity in my own self, even from just speaking to her, speaking to a woman 10,000, 11,000 miles away, and having this this inner knowing that there's something here, and to pursue that, and to pursue that with with confidence, and to pursue that with clarity, a lot had to happen in my life. A great deal had to happen. I grew up in 
in a volatile environment. As a child, I was I didn't know if I if I should speak up or if I should retract and hide away. And it caused a lot of angst in my own mind and 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 a lot of mental chatter and and emotional disparity. And I took that into my teenage years. I was very passive and and very withdrawn from the world in my early teenage years. And took that then the in another to another extreme, became very outspoken, hyper aggressive, violent. I would be fighting every weekend, drinking alcohol, really just losing and, and, and drinking alcohol to, to the nth degree uh, in, in extreme expressions and really losing myself and not knowing who I was. And for me, it was unresolved stuff from my childhood. As I said, I grew up in a volatile environment, it was an abusive household. Uh, physically and emotionally abusive. And I, I didn't know how to be, I didn't learn how to be as a kid. And and I took that, I, I didn't really take responsibility for that as I moved into my adult years and just continued the same behavior. And so that didn't serve me as, as a man in the world and didn't serve my model of what a man, a healthy man is, because I didn't really have a healthy model. I did have healthy models, but they were a little bit too distant. So my primary model, my father, it was it was very difficult to to gauge well, this is this what a man is meant to be or was always abrupt rude aggressive agitated frustrated tense and so I took so many of those qualities and I brought it into my adult life and I brought that into my relationship as well into my relationships and so I went on this path of self destruction essentially and in complete avoidance of being me, complete avoidance of doing good in the world and really living to what my values, the core of my values were. And they were they were so muddled and so so covered with so so much thick muck and implicit memory and pain and suffering that I and, and the suppression of all that that I just kept being what I thought was the normal, what was familiar to me. And so being frustrated on a daily basis, being a very high risk taker in business, I was investing money and energy and resources in businesses that had a massive return but were were so risky and i thought well that's that's the way men need to be that's just the way i need to be this is what me planting or placing my foot in the world looks like placing that flag in the world looks like this is how i want people to see me i want people to see me fearless but the reality was i was so scared inside i was scared to actually pursue what interested me. I was actually, I was scared to, to speak my truth. And I would cover that with bravado, false bravado and arrogance and, and ego. And, and I would be on the front foot. I would be hyper defensive. I would, I would attack emotionally. I wouldn't let people really wouldn't let people in, even though I was able to communicate quite clearly, even at an emotional level, it wasn't real because it wasn't coming from a genuine version of myself. And so I distracted myself with, with, with women, alcohol in the early years, but then I stopped that because I, I valued health too much. And so I went the other way and I went really extreme in, in my health and my fitness and, and pushing my body, taking my body to really distant places, to, to, to the edge, to the unknown in terms of what can my body actually do in terms of performance. And again, it was a coping strategy for me and, and, and an opportunity to avoid what was really bubbling underneath the surface. I was womanizing and consistently and constantly unfaithful. Uh, and for me, a few years ago, that became unraveled when the, the, my partner at that time discovered that. I didn't even have the courage to tell her. She discovered that. And that's when, for me, I was really at a fork in the road. And 
I, I made a real commitment for the first time in my life to not continue the same behavior, to unpack what was going on because I was an intelligent guy. I have degrees in psychology and philosophy, a master's degree. I, I have various qualifications in mind-body uh, modalities, but I wasn't embodying it. I wasn't living it. I wasn't really owning it, and I was living in the shadows. And it was evident in my businesses as well. I, I would make massive money and then lose a lot of money. Make massive. It was this build, burn, build, burn mentality, and I couldn't figure out why. And I thought, oh, well, that's just part of business. I would blame everything but me. I would make all the excuses, but I wouldn't take responsibility. And so, really, I was just stuck in this boy mentality, but living in in a man's body. And so, when that event occurred, I took a path of I'm really going deep into all this, and I stopped working. I, I stopped focusing on business. I I just went deep into personal development, and that was my journey. And I went really ran into that, and I got in, actually got into debt because of that. Because I stopped working, and I just poured so much money into myself. Uh, into and I started asking questions around what does it mean to be a man in contemporary times, and what is it? What do I? What do, who do I want to be? And who am I? How do I want to show up? And why am I being this person that's actually causing me a lot of pain, but that I'm avoiding very, uh, very strategically and very? I was doing a good job of it as well. And so that was my unraveling, but also that was my liberation. And mm-hmm. so when I, when I really stepped into that, that's when freedom for me uh, unraveled itself and, and, and presented itself. Because for me, I had this, fr- this fear around freedom and commitment. And now I'm just going to fast track a little bit and we can go in between. But now I have freedom through and in commitment. And you can hashtag that shit, brother, because <laughs> freedom through commitment is a real thing. And it's a real thing. When we get ourselves in a place of homeostasis, emotional and spiritual homeostasis, and, and greater balance where we connect to that balance that exists within all of us, and we start living our truth instead of living in lies and living in the shadow. And I did that for too long, man, way too long. I saw, I saw some dark things. I experienced some dark things in society living in, that, living in that space, and also I went really deep into the darkness of my own self. Uh, in order to be able to extract and, and be present to the lightness within self as well. So what does that process look like? Because that's a pretty big level of awareness and it's a, a huge level of transformation, obviously, from, from who you were to where you are today. Mm. So when you dive into you know, personal development, once you said, can mm. you unpack that a, a lot? Because I'm really interested to hear what did you try, what you know, really worked and what did you resonate with? Because there's a lot of people who dive into self-help stuff. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this right now has it to some degree or another. And maybe they see a change, maybe they don't. Mm. So I'm really interested to see what the specifics were. Yeah, and, and varied. So I, I began with spiritual counseling and I began with psychotherapy as well. And I started there. I went, to all, I went also to spiritual healing. I went into my own processes. So it was really a combination of, and I'll go into some of the details of that, some of the actual modalities as well. Oh, neuroempowerment training as well, where I was actually rewiring my brain. And that was, that was phenomenal too. That was, that was really powerful actually, because that gave so much more context to what I had experienced and how I was experiencing and how I was behaving and being in the world as well. I dialed in my health. Too. And, and I mean, I was always quite healthy, but really began to dial in my health more from a nutritional perspective and supplementation and specific to me. So there was some genetic testing around that as well. 
and then looking at how my food actually affected my mood and my behavior as well. I went into child regression therapy, hypnosis, timeline therapy, to mention a few. I went deeply into my own meditation, my own meditative practices, around more around Eastern mysticism. I went into deep reading. I read all the books I could read, man, on whether it be masculinity, whether, and I'm still, I still read, a, I'm an avid reader now, but whether it be on masculinity, whether it be on, on the, the male brain, or whether, whether it just be on, on neuroscience, uh, psychology, uh, dealing with trauma and stress. I did trauma release work as well with a qualified trauma therapist. Those were some of the modalities that I did. I, I spent time in nature, purposeful time in nature. I, again, I don't think I've, I've skipped a day of, of training in my life from the age of, say, 18 to, to now unless I've been unwell or I'm in very deliberate recovery. So I've always trained my body and I've always been you know, at optimal health and, and peak health for most of the time. But I started doing that very differently. I started looking at that very differently. I, I also engaged very simply in some nurturing practices. You know, instead of going to get a massage and, and making it a sexual massage, I went, I went and got a massage and it was to nurture my body. It was to, to give me relief and emotional relief and spiritual relief and to, to receive nurturing because I'd, man, I'd, I, I learned to speak to myself very differently because my net, my self speak was so negative and so harsh. And so the neuro, uh, the neuro empowerment training helped with that immensely as well. Yeah, no, that's. I mean, you've definitely, definitely covered the menu mm. for sure here. What I'm really interested in in these days, personally, and I'm surprised by the lack of resources around this, so I want to ask you uh, mm. about it. Uh, I was actually looking for books on this the other day, and I, I only found like two on Amazon from sources that, it, from my perspective, I would just consider unknown, right? I don't know how valid or qualified these individuals are. But when it comes to rewiring your internal stories, mm. right? So we're all living physical manifestations of the subconscious stories that we've adopted since childhood, whether it's through traumatic circumstances or not, maybe just, you know, childhood that you've had, but your, your operating system is based on those. And most people are not aware of them at all. And you usually don't become aware of them until you do this kind of work. And then you get an opportunity to, to retell those stories and rewire them. Was that a part of the work that you did? And if so, where did you really learn about that? That's a really powerful question, man. I'm trying to think where to start, where, where would be the best place to start for that. So I, 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 a great deal of this process, whilst, whilst I sought, like I said, spiritual healers and, and, and it was doing deep, deeper energy work um, from, from various lineages of, of practice, whether it be, I don't want to get too esoteric here, but whether it be it was light therapy that I was doing or light work or uh, whether it be a modality from an, an, an Egyptian lineage or something uh, Eastern, more mystical, I, I took a lot of responsibility and, and I spent a great deal of time on my own understanding my own mind, my thought patterns, my belief systems, looking at how I was being in the world and peeling back the what was underpinning those thoughts and those behaviors. So I, a lot of this I spent on my, uh, spent time on my own and, and sought support outside of that when I got stuck. And so the, the, the main, I was very deliberate in doing that. And then the main reason for doing that was because I felt 
I was giving my power away too much when I look back at my life. And I thought the only way to really get, my, this is for me, to really get my power back was to do the work on my own. In part, not in full and not completely on my own, but a great, a large majority of that was to, to be with whatever ailment I was experiencing, to look at my behavior and say, okay, why was I unfaithful at this extent? Why was my businesses burn, build, burn, build? Why was I able to attract such wealth and such amazing people in my life, but then also lose that really quickly? And so I peeled that back on my own. Yes, I looked at Carl Jung. Yes, I looked at Deepak Chopra in terms of the shadow self and understanding the archetypes and understanding our belief systems and the unconscious mind. There's just two examples, right? I use Deepak Chopra, contemporary author, and I use Carl Jung, a more traditional psychologist and one of the pioneers of, of, of Western psychology and the human mind as we see it. And I went deep into Eastern esotericism as well and, and the, the Eastern mysticism. And, and pulled so much from, okay, so what does neuroscience say this part of the brain does? When we behave this way, what's happening physiologically in the body? What hormones are being secreted? How, are we, how is the body behaving digestively? What's going on in my body? And I started making these correlations and relating to that. Hence how I've been able to develop various models and frameworks around uh, certain postures and how to be in the world and how to optimize our performance in certain areas of life. So I really went deep in doing that work myself. I hope I've answered your question. Yeah. Well, you know, it's we'd all like we'd all like that magic pill, right? That one, <laughs> that one magic fix that that yeah. can do it for you. And so that's just that's something that I've been I've been looking into to greatly. And I was just really shocked by the lack of information available out there that I could find. So I had to use this opportunity to ask you if you if you mm. had any resources around it. But I wanted to ask you if you'd be willing to share what you concluded when you were doing your your self analysis on mm. the business side of why you would build it and burn it oh yeah absolutely because volatility was my familiarity let me explain so i grew up as i mentioned in a volatile household and so one day my father would be happy and he would be basically his behavior was unpredictable Bipolar, and i felt yeah. very very yeah i felt very unsafe in my environment he it was highly unpredictable. Now the adult self for me loves my father, and 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 the 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 inner the inner self loves my father. The inner child loves my father as well. I've done some some deep work around that, and so I, I see where his pains are and where he's come from. But the little child doesn't get that. The little child doesn't have a comprehension of that. From zero to seven during our formative years, walking around in a hypnagogic state, we take on really what our environment gives us without much interpretation. So volatility for me was the norm. And so I expressed that in my relationships and the way I behaved and, and the nature of my relationships and in my business. And until I really made that connection and I ceased to be volatile within my own mindset, my own set of the way I spoke to myself and saw myself, that's when I began to observe and experience a steady state flow of success in my businesses as well. And that, that for me, that was fucking epic, man. And that was a major light bulb. It was like, wow, I get it now. Like I really get it. So and now I'm able to build that. Yeah. So I want to ask you. So you 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 had the moment of awareness, which is great, and you can consciously understand that. But then, how do you act on it and see a lasting different set of results and and have a different set of behavior patterns? Yeah. So first, first clear clear out the trauma. And so 
I, I did, I, I engaged therapists that could help me shift the trauma at a visceral and physiological level. And once I understood that at a, at a, enough, and not just understood it intellectually, but actually embodied it viscerally, I went and I continued that. So I would continue to, every time, it's actually really simple. It's, it isn't, it isn't. So every time I would have a, a thought or I would, I would, just be just about to elicit a behavior that was very similar to the the volatility that I was once behaving in. I would literally stop myself. I would replace that thought with something else. I would ask myself, "Is that really the path I want to go?" And so, therefore, I would link a new action and behavior to my set of my my core set of values that I was living in the present, and I was able to, in real time, act in a different way to get a different result. And I would also ask myself and be with myself, is there something that I need to equilibrate and neutralize here within me viscerally? Do I need to go into the body and, and shift more trauma at a cellular level? And I had, haven't had the skills to do that, obviously. And I was able to do that repetitively and, and repetition, essentially. That became my new habit and my habit became the outcomes that I was living. And I would be able to recognize very clearly because I would list the behaviors that were responsible for or that were associated with that that volatility and that burn build. So an example of that would be reaction. I would someone would present a business idea to me, I would get immediately excited and I would be all in. I wouldn't think about it properly. I wouldn't give it time. I wouldn't be patient. I wouldn't be responsive. I wouldn't ask the right questions. I would just look at what the potential outcome is, get excited about that and bam, go straight in. Now I get presented many different business ideas and the way I interact with that is very different to how I used to. I was very erratic previously and I was associating with gunslingers as well, people that were really good at making quick cash but they were really good at losing quick cash as well. And so the people that I associate myself with now, they're more sustainable wealth builders as opposed to let's get rich quick. So I started looking at my environment. I started looking at my peer groups as well, my business associates as well, and my colleagues. And that was a big difference. So I had to let go of a lot of people and move, move into a, another space completely that was unfamiliar. Just for reference, what does that evaluation process look like for you now as opposed to the, the run and gun model, if you will? Yeah. So you, um, are you asking how I evaluate the, the peer groups and the people that uh, I spend the, my time well, with? Well, let's say the, the investment opportunities that you get. Yeah. So the investment opportunities that, are, that come to me. Firstly, the, the investment opportunities that come to me aren't get-rich-quick schemes. We often attract what we magnetize where we're really at internally and what our focus is on. And so that's not my focus now. And therefore, I don't really attract any of that at all. And my audit process is really looking at the individuals that are involved, definitely taking time to digest it, whether it be one day, two days, one week, two weeks, depending on the circumstances, of course, asking integrated questions, not only about the business model, but about the idea itself, asking more detailed questions around the market, understanding the funding, knowing the people that are involved. Really, in going into detail, I want to know all the people that are involved, what's required, what are the anticipated costs involved, what are the future projects. I never used to ask those questions. Very simple questions, but I never used to ask those questions. And I was more asking, how much money can we make and when can we make it? And, and what's the quickest way to make it? 
as opposed to now, the audit is really getting to know the people that are involved. If I had to choose three, it's the people that are involved, the funding, and really understanding the timing of the idea in the marketplace and how relative is it to what's trending at the moment, but also is there sustainability in that trending? So they're the three areas that I focus on. The the timing of the idea, the people involved, and the funding that's uh, that we have access to. Very cool. Very cool. You know, obviously, you made some huge changes. Huge changes when it comes to your relationships, and the fact that you've ended up with a gal like Christine says a lot about the work that you've done and the progress that you've made. I agree. Um, <laughs> and so, I'm really interested in hearing, you know, how you guys really came together in a little bit more detail because I know that you started on the other side of the planet and it was basically a virtual relationship for a Mm. few months, Mm. which is an opportunity in and of itself. It's a unique opportunity. Mm. It was. Yeah. So what what was that like? Or it's I mean, I can just imagine it would be really interesting to meet someone who has the same level who has done the same amount of work that you have Mm. when it comes to relationships. And is it, I don't know, is it like a, in, in some ways, a, um, a job interview <laughs> where, uh, <laughs> you know, you're like seeing where the other person actually is? Because it's, it's interesting. The more work you do on yourself, the smaller your potential pool of partners gets, mm. right? And mm. yep. so I'm really curious to hear what that process looked like for the two of you. Mm. Well, firstly, we both, what, what, what happened unknowingly to us, we, we both unconsciously surrendered to this, uh, this idea of finding someone. And so I became, I became, very, uh, I became very open in, okay, I've, and, and this was, an, I moved out of a relationship. I was about 18 months out of a relationship and I was purposely uh, on my own. And, and just being with self and doing deeper work. That was another, another, another stage of my life where I did deeper, where I went deeper again. That was a very traumatic uh, stage of my life too. And then moved out of that, came out of a, one of my stillness practices, I have da- a daily stillness practice, and really, really connected to the idea that I'm open to being with someone and that someone is going to be legitimate in my life and it's going to be beyond, beyond just, this is going to be beyond just this idea of, hey, I'm jumping into a relationship, whether it goes somewhere, it goes somewhere, it does I was going to be really discerning. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be discerning in every area of my life, in every facet of my expression. And that was my intimate personal relationship was no different. And so I wasn't attached to meeting anyone. I wasn't attached to being in a relationship. I was super happy where I was in my life in terms of the business that I was building and what I was attracting. I was super connected to how I was moving through the world, how I was showing up, like the level of integrity and authenticity that I had, my character. I was really deeply content with how I was being in the world and didn't feel I needed anything or anyone. And I was simply creating. I was creating the life that I wanted for myself and I was open to being with uh, an amazing human being, an amazing woman that could meet me where I was. And sh- oh, go on, you were going to say something? Yeah. Um, you mentioned you were... You mentioned the word discerning. Yes. You were going to be very discerning. Yes. And that can also be, at least for me, when I've tried to be quote unquote discerning, judgmental, where it's like, I immediately want to see if this person is who I'm looking for based on Mm. my criteria, whatever it may be, which can, 
easily be used as mm-hmm. a way to put up a wall and distance somebody. Agreed. Right. So how do you yep. handle yep. like navigate that? <laughs> yes, yeah, it's a great question. And I and I and I what I could have mentioned and should have mentioned was discerning and discerning and open. In other words, not attached to and, and brother, let me tell you, I, I got really clear on the type of woman I wanted in my life. I did a checklist and a whole lot, and I did that years ago. Uh, and that's so why I had like three hundred and fifty something points on this checklist, <laughs> literally. And so I looked at that and I thought, uh, yeah, I like everything that's on the checklist, and I deserve everything that's on the checklist. And I'm really narrowing my myself down on this checklist, and I like the checklist, and I'm going to be open with it as well. So I'm not going to be super attached to it. And that's what I did, discerning and I went deeply within myself. And so I would ask my body, what, what did my body say? I'm, I'm, I'm really, I've been connected to the body for a long time. And uh, for me, you know, it's, you know, we say, well, that gut feeling. But that gut feeling is actually linked to something instinctual and neurological within us. And it tells us something about our environment. And we, we pick up feedback in our environment through the gut, through the enteric system, feeds it up through the vagus nerve into the brain. And our brain interprets what we are seeing, feeling, and experiencing based on our interpretation of the world, our models of reality, our belief systems, our individual experiences, a myriad of other um, factors. But I started really leveraging that. I started going into the body more. And so I was discerning and I wasn't going to settle for anything that wasn't uh, that, that for someone that couldn't meet me where I was, or, or whether it be a business idea as well. I, I wasn't going to settle for a business idea that would make me heaps of money and wasn't in line with my ethics, my ethical standards and my morals and my values around conducting business. And so I just got really clear on what I wanted. And sometimes it was a fuck no, and sometimes it was a hell yes, and sometimes it was in between and I'd sit with it. I'd be patient with it. I wouldn't necessarily rush into it. And so that was where the discernment came in. And so there was the discernment wasn't rigid and hyper judgmental. The discernment was I'm clear on what I want and I'm open to being open. And how I'm open about that is I'm going to be patient, and that was the key. I'm going to be patient with if there's a discrepancy that I'm feeling within me, I want to sit with it and then I'll make a decision. Unless I have to rush, unless I'm in a forcible reactive state where it's either survival, I will make the decision and I'll live with it and I'll be with it. And I have no problem with that. And I've done that many times. But where I've got the time and space, I'm going to take it and I'll still be discerning. And I'll refer back to what are my points of attraction? What is it that I actually want, whether it be business or in a relationship? And so when I met Christine and we started speaking and communicating, I just immediately knew the way that we were communicating, there was a really good fit. And so therefore, I became open to exploring what that looked like, even though logically, it's like, she's in the US, I'm in. Australia, and I travel a lot anyway, but mainly through Southeast Asia and um, the Pacific and, and, and Australia. And I was like, uh, uh, I'm open to it. Let me be open to it. And we we're both meeting in Estonia. We we're both going to Estonia because one of my companies is registered there. It's, it's legally, it's a legal entity there. And she was going there to speak at, at Mind Valley. And I was also going to Mind Valley as well, previous to her, us even meeting and knowing each other. And so there was a lot of serendipity around that. I mean, Estonia is a very small country. It's 1.2 million people in, in northeastern Europe, uh, northern Europe. And so it, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a travel destination per se. And we were both going there and we knew we were going there and all we knew after we started speaking. And so that was cool as well. 
Actually, no, sorry, we knew before we started speaking because our mutual friends let us both know. And that was cool. And so the moment I became open was the moment I was introduced to her, literally a few days later. And so we began that, we began that conversation. And so what helped me, and I'll be re- this is a really cool tool, and you can actually use this tool in business in a different way. So, you know, you're familiar with Chicken Soup for the Soul, Jack Canfield? Mm-hmm. And he's made like 16, 18 iterations of chicken soup for the soul, right? Yeah. It's, it's like the five love languages. There's five love languages in relationship and you can have the five languages in, five love languages in business and the five love languages for kids and, and so forth. So what I'm about to tell you now, you can apply it if you're creative and innovative enough and I can help you um, identify that. You can apply it in, in any area of, of your life that's important. So for me, I said to Christine, look, I mean, I was very, when I'm just part of, for me, part of discernment is clarity and, and clear communication and very authentic, real communication. I don't bullshit. So I said to her, I'm in a stage in my life and it's not an age thing. It's just where I'm at within me that I'm only choosing to surround myself with quality people. You appear to be such a quality person. I'd love to get to know you deeper if you're willing. She was like, yeah, of course. Great. Here's what I propose. Every day, I'm going to ask you five questions. You're going to answer them, and then I'm going to answer my five questions. Then the next day, it's your turn. And these questions can be anything from, hey, if, there, if an animal could be the president of the United States, what, would the, what animal would you choose to be the president and why? Two, tell me your deepest childhood trauma and what have you done to shift it? Right. And so we commenced that journey, and we went deep. We asked Anything and everything. We spoke about monogamy, non-monogamy. We spoke about spirituality. We spoke about God. We spoke about ideology and philosophy. We spoke about our upbringings. We spoke about our traumas, our fears. We, talk, we spoke about our past. We spoke about previous relationships and how we behave. We spoke about our behavioral patterns, our models of reality, anything and everything. We spoke about our sexual orientation, sexual preferences. Nothing was off limits. We spoke about drugs. We spoke about not taking drugs. We spoke about plant medicine. We spoke about existential experience. We spoke about esoteric wisdom. We spoke about uh, consciousness. We went everywhere. Was that mostly done via like video chat or just yeah. audio? Yeah. Or? Both, both, both. Video chat. We mix it up. Video chat. We pretty much after a while, after a few weeks, we were video chatting nearly every day. Um, we were audios, messages. Yeah. And I'm just asking because I've, you know, I've had discussions like that in long-term relationships occasionally during my life. And then it's always really interesting to meet that person in real life, mm. knowing that you've gone pretty deep down the rabbit holes yeah. and then all of a sudden then they're there. And it's almost in a way like you're starting over in some mm. ways, in some ways yes. not. So that's yes. why I was wondering is is if the video chat played a role with you guys or if you still had that same kind of experience when you met for the first time, knowing as much as you knew about each other at that point and still you're just meeting for the first time in person, if it was different Mm. or you were instantly right into that or if you had to kind of get to know each other better in a new way. Yes, all of the above. So instantly right into it. Had to get to know each other in a different way now with the phys- with with the with the the hormonal rush and and the concoction of of hormones moving through us and and the pheromones and so forth, and we laid a beautiful foundation, a beautiful foundation, a powerful foundation. Can you imagine if every business or every business partnership or merging of two businesses or every business idea that was being birthed or every entrepreneurial venture really took a couple of months to go deep into the individuals. 
I would even suggest that if you're if you're in a business part, we even we even spoke about our personality testing, the Enneagram and the human design and everything that around compatibility. Can you imagine t- two business partners going together and saying, "Hey, you get your personality personality test done. I'm going to get mine done. Let's see where we're both strong. Let's see where we're both weak, and let's complement each other. And let's see if this can actually work. Let's do Enneagram. Let's do uh, human design. Let's do whatever. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking whatever it may whatever it may be, and Let's actually get together and, and talk to each other about some of our fears and some of our pains and, and how do we behave under pressure and how do we react and let's go get some, some scanning and done around our neurology and see where we're at in terms of our reactivity and what our synaptic connections are telling us. Let's do all that. Imagine that, that 80%, 90% preparation, 10% execution. Imagine if businesses did that. Yeah. Imagine if yeah. people in relationship did that. What would happen? We, we forge such a strength in relationship and such clarity. That's like I, when I said to you, when we met physically, it was like home there. Not that I felt broken or I felt I was not whole. I was very whole when I came to the relationship, as, she, as was she. And my perception of that was I didn't feel that I needed someone else to complete me. And when I came to her, when we met, I just felt really comfortable and really in knowing that this path that I'm about to embark on with Christine is the path that I need to be on. Mm, is the path cool. I want to be on. Right. Very cool. Very cool. Man, there's so many questions that that I've got. <laughs> um, so so to kind of bring it bring it back around full circle to the mm. beginning, for people who are listening to you, they're maybe maybe being inspired to take a closer look at at their lives and themselves mm. and their behavior patterns. If you could give them some pointers on where to start. I think that would be really useful. And then obviously I want to talk about what you do because you help yeah. you help guys do this kind of work. Mm. So if we could cover both of those, that'd be great. Absolutely. So what I'll begin with is that when we get our ourselves in check, everything else flourishes. When we are not living in lies, we're not acting from a place of dishonesty. When we're really connected to our truth and we behave in that way, in other words, when we're in integrity, when what we think and feel and know about the world matches our outward behavior, that's powerful. And that's being in integrity. When we're in that place, there's a cohesion and a flow that takes place that every other area of our lives, sure, we'll experience challenge and difficulty, but every other area of our life is essentially on point including our external relationships, our in, uh, in the way we interrelate to others and the way we interrelate, the, the way we connect to ourselves. And so I would begin with looking at patterns. Patterns tell us so much about who we are. So look at some of the most important relationships in your life and then look at some of the biggest challenges in those relationships and then look at the patterns that you engage in when you are in that challenge or, or when you're in a reactive state. You start with those three steps. Observe the key relationships in your life across all areas. Notice and focus on, or not focus, but have a think about when you're in deep challenge in those relationships, how do you generally show up? How do you behave? And are there any, and the third, are there any patterns in that behavior? And then once you understand those patterns, you can go deep into the source of them. And it's always wise to get external help in some capacity, whether it be a spiritual guide, someone that's intuitive, whether it be a psychotherapist, whether it be a counselor, whether it be a 
anyone that can, uh, a trusted, revered friend that can give you some perspective and insight into the, the source of that and then how to shift and equilibrate it and how to move through it and how to actually elicit a new way of being in the world. And that's, a, that's obviously a more complex conversation, but that's a great starting point in terms of being observant. Yeah, and and I'd assume that you'd want people to write these down and, and yes. start to catalog this in kind of like a diary format. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. They, and they can do this on a, on a regular basis. Another great way to start is look at all, all, our, all our behaviors. So look at the way we behave in the world. And how we repeat those behaviors, what's, what, are, what, are, what are the patterns in those behaviors? And then begin to ask yourself, what are the belief systems that allow me to behave this way? So let me give you an example. Say you're in a relationship and you're having dinner. You and your partner are having dinner. And you're the type of person that loves the dishes done before you sit down, loves the kitchen clean, loves the space clean, open before you sit down to eat. But your partner, on the other hand, she, likes to do all of that after she eats. Simple thing, right? Simple thing. She likes to put the tea towels away and the dishes away and the dishwasher, whatever it may be, and, and clean the bench and so forth after. And this really aggravates you, really, really aggravates you. Ask yourself, if you're feeling that undesirable state, that agitation, because that's not a desirable state. It's, it's a feeling and it's a legitimate feeling and it gives, us, it gives us insight into who we are. If you're feeling that undesirable state, why? What's the belief system that you hold that tells you you have to have everything clean prior to sitting down and having dinner? What, is the re- what are the reasons for that? And sometimes when we unpack that and we go into that, we find that it's either a habit, a pattern that we're familiar with, something that we experience as a child, and that we can be more flexible with it. Now, if we're not flexible with it, that tells us something about who we are. The rigidity of that, that, that experience that we're having tells us something about who we are. Why are we so rigid around that? Why can't we change that? What are we hanging on to? What's the big deal? Let's go into that. And you've got to be willing. You have to have a willingness to go into it. And I promise you, if, you, if you're diligent with this work, you'll be diligent like this in business and entrepreneurship and the way you express in the world and the way you serve your customers and all of that. Because how we do anything is how we do everything. So, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a challenge there when it comes to to interpreting what what you come up with is. You know, yep. it's like it's, it's like a, a fish trying yeah. to see water right yep definitely but that's part of the process and that's part mm. of the magic that unravels now go back to what i said a, mo- a few moments ago seek professional help or support that can also give you insight into your own insights but begin yourself like self-reliance is something that i teach in men for me self-reliance is a key component of the contemporary man i mean Ro- roosevelt used to speak about self-reliance Many different authors used to uh, speak about self-reliance and the importance of that. When we're self-reliant as men, when we, when we are our own source of inspiration and we go to ourselves first, it tells us something about who we are and what we're actually capable of. That, that's, Thoreau spoke about self-reliance massively, massively. And so... This notion of self-reliance, it trickles into every area of life. It's, it's, a, it's a form and a modality of self-leadership, what I call sovereign leadership. And just as a side note, that's very fucking attractive to women. When you lead yourself and you take – and this is intimately linked to ownership and responsibility and, and, and being empowered, self-empowered and taking uh, hold of your personal power, when a woman is exposed to that 
and you take responsibility for your actions and your behavior and your growth, man, there's not, that, that's immediate foreplay. Sensually, sexually, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. You, when you take steed of your own life in that way, and it's not, and I know it's not easy. I completely I, I acknowledge that and honor that. And seek support. Have a, a tribe of brothers in your life. Have have people that you lean on. I have I have four coaches slash mentors in my life at the moment, in different capacities that I lean on to help give me insight into what I'm attempting to gain insight on myself. It's like when you're at school. And you've got a math problem. I remember I used to have math problem all the time. I used to go to the teacher, oh, can you help me with this? Can you, can you do this? Basically, can you do this for me? Because I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a fan of math, although I've made myself be more of a fan of math the last few years. And, 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 and her response or his response is, well, if I help you and do it for you, you're not going to learn. So if, I, if someone gives us the answers, we're not really going to learn viscerally. And we won't embody it and we won't go forward with that. And so when I learned that, I stopped seeking answers outside of myself and went within. And when I got stuck, really stuck, that I just kept hitting the wall, kept hitting the wall, kept hitting the wall, then I asked for insight. And only I would only want that insight trickled to me. I wouldn't want the answer because it's just, I feel like it's empty. So, ah, oh, that's it. Is that it? Ah, oh, that, oh, I wish I'd figured it out myself. It's worth more. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed, agreed. But when you do need help, I think this is the perfect segue. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about what you do. <laughs> sure. Look, brother, I, I work with men and women. I work with couples. I work with large groups. I, 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 I probably work a little bit more with men, to be honest. And I, and I help men really identify what it means to be a man. If I had to narrow it down, I, I do two things for men. I help men be good men, and I help men be good at being men. And there's a difference. And so one honors our, our state, our physiology, our evolution, and the other is a, more of a cultural construct and a personal definition and creation for self. And, and I help men really step into that. I help men be better at business. I help men be better, not by, by giving them business advice, not what I specialize in, by helping them connect to themselves, learning about who they are, stepping into their power, identifying with what they truly wish to be in the world, and then how to execute that in the most optimal way, how to enhance and improve, evolve their relationships, how to have better sex, how to be a contemporary man in a, in a time that is rapidly changing. I mean, the, the way masculinity in men are, are, are being perceived today by the mainstream is it's, it's muddled. We don't, know if, if we, we don't know whether we're Arthur or Martha, whether we're coming or going. That's the two Australian sayings. I'm not sure if you have them here in the US. Mm. But we're confused about who we are and how we're meant to be. And so essentially I, I help men get really clear on that and just act in their power with confidence, not arrogance, but confidence. And part of that is through my own personal experiences that I've been deeply diligent upon and observing. And you have two people in the world that have very similar experiences and the, the individual this is ancient wisdom. The individual that pays attention to their lives, iterates new versions of themselves, pivots when they have to, is agile in their, in their behavior and in the way they see themselves and then act in the world. And the person that just diligently observes their life will have a far more profound and deep and rich experience of life than the person that doesn't. And so for me, what I teach is a combination of, of leveraging academia, my own personal and professional experience, but largely my personal experience, and then bringing that together and, and developing a model of what does it mean to be 
a man in contemporary times. That's very much needed these days. Very much needed these days. What is the best or most effective way that you work with your students? Is it is it one on one, you know, video calls? Is it is it group coaching? What would you or, or what do you offer? Yeah, so th- so three three modalities. One on one, I definitely do a great deal of one on one work with people, with men, uh, men and women. So just just people, but we're speaking about men, so we'll, we'll talk to men. So one on one work with men. It's either video conferencing or teleconferencing. Usually, it's teleconferencing. And so we generally embark on a six-month journey. We, we meet every couple of weeks, and, and there's, but in between our sessions, there's support. And that's, that's a major difference of, of the way I, I teach and mentor and coach is that you have support so we can make changes, neural and behavioral changes in real time. And so by support, I mean reach out. I encourage uh, people that are working with me in a one-on-one capacity outside of our formalized sessions to reach out, drop me voice notes, drop me a message, ask me questions. And so there's that constant communication and mentorship and support, very important in a one-on-one session. My group coaching, is, is it, it varies. So I have a program at the moment called Reclaim Your Kingdom, and that's a virtual three-month online immersive all around healthy masculinity in contemporary times. And we meet once a week via a live webinar. There's, there's massive support on a fa- private Facebook group where we're, there's daily, multiple times a day interaction on there. There's rich learning materials. I mean, some of the materials, some of the lessons are – 25,000 words per lesson. Very, very deep. I've, I've put a lot of research into this and, and developed deep frameworks around what it means to be a man. In, in, and that's constantly evolving and changing, by the way, and growing as well as, as I go <laughs> deeper into, into the realm of, of relationships and, and gender dynamics and masculinity. And then there's also immersive experiences that I have. Uh, so, for example, last year, I, I'm not doing any this year because it's just so much on with with wedding and establishing myself in the US and so much going on. But last year, I took a small number of people up to the New Zealand Alps and we just went deep for five days. And that was epic. And that was highly transformative. So I do that as well. And then I, I speak, I speak from stage and I, from other people's events, from my own events. Uh, I create in person experiences with larger groups as well three day, five day, seven day immersive retreats specifically for men and rites of passage. And so, yeah, there's some, some examples of what I do. Awesome. 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 Well, I can't wait to dive in, in deeper. Yeah. So where can people find you and, and learn more about your coaching and mentorship? Yeah. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. So stephanossafandos.com uh, or any of my, my social media handles, stephanossafandos, uh, IG or, or Facebook. Okay, awesome. And obviously, there'll be links here, guys, in the uh, the podcast summary too. Uh, that'll take you to to all of those uh, all of those websites. And so, is there a book coming out? You need to write a book, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, there is. Um, so there's a there's a there's a book coming out. There's actually a couple of books coming out. Uh, one I I've started writing already. Actually, two I've started writing. One I'm real I'm I'm far in, and I'm going to have to split it up because it's around 250,000 words already. So that's got to change. Um, I've got to to strip that back. I have written a book. It was a book of aphorisms and philosophical musings, and that was in 2012. Uh, It's called The Labyrinth of Life. Um, So that was just a a bit of a a pet project that I had, and I just released that self-published. And and the other book that is more important, and I've just started, that's that's what I'm excited about. And and hopefully within the next 24 months, that that will be released. Awesome. 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 Well, Steph, thank you so much for the time today and for for sharing your experiences with us. This is, you know, a topic that everybody needs to focus on. 
And I would challenge everybody here listening to this to do the work that you need to do if you want to you know, reach the next level in life that you want to get to. So there's only one path and that's it. <laughs> um, thank you, Mark. Yeah, absolutely, brother. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And uh, guys and gals, thank you as always for listening. If you know someone in your life who could use a kick in the pants or use some help, please share this episode with them and uh, you could end up changing their life forever. So thanks so much and we'll see you next week.